brought to you by the Children's Rehabilitation Institute, Teleton USA. Hey, this is Laura. And this is Natalie. We're two therapists that work at CRIT, the Children's Rehabilitation Institute, Teleton USA. We wanted to provide the community with an outlet for their stories and resources for our families that may not have access or know how to begin. We hope that through these interviews, we can continue to serve our families and the pediatric therapy community with knowledge and education from a distance. Join us as we speak with some of our therapists, patients, and their families about their diagnosis and discuss how CRIT has helped them navigate their uni challenges. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, today on the show, we will be celebrating Better Speech and Hearing Month by interviewing one of our very own speech-language pathologists, Lorena Aceves. Natalie will chat with her about what a speech therapist does, how her path led to speech therapy, and the schooling needed. She will also review what the Big Nine is, and lastly, she discusses how she helps patients utilize different forms of communication tools, including communication boards and AAC devices, everything from low technology to high technology. Enjoy! brought to you by Craig. Hey everybody, during the month of May, we did get to celebrate Better Speech and Hearing Month. Um, it was a whole month that we got to spoil our speech language pathologist, or our speech therapist here at CRIT. Um, CRIT, we have a massive interdisciplinary team and speech is a huge part of what we get to do alongside physical therapy and occupational therapy. So today we have Lorena, one of our lovely speech therapists with us. Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, so as a part of speech therapy, I think a lot of people, um, they think you just talk, you help kids talk. And that is a large part of speech therapy, of course. Um, but in your words, what is speech therapy specifically? So I'm kind of taking off of what um, the American Speech Language Association uh, defines speech pathology as. So we work to prevent, assess, diagnose, and treat speech language, social communication, cognitive communication, and swallowing disorders in adults and pediatrics. Wow, that's a, definitely more than just talking. Um, so I, I don't know a lot of speech therapists. Uh, so to me, it's a very mysterious field. Um, why did you specifically choose to go into speech therapy? So I actually didn't know a lot about speech therapy either. So I was actually in school to be a um, special education teacher and um I started working as a paraprofessional in um, the uh, in, in a special education classroom, and so when I met the speech pathologist there, um, she kind of took me under her wing and kind of showed me what she did and how she helped our students, and um, that's kind of what initiated the world of speech language pathology for me and I started researching on what else we can do and honestly it's so broad like not only in the medical side of things but also um, you know in education there's also like speech therapists who work with um, with celebrities to work on accent modification there's you know all sorts of different things working with voice um, you know, singers, um, or even just, you know, just regular people who, who need assistance with voice and resonance and things like that. So it's very broad. And once I learned that it kind of, um, helped me kind of 
see my future and that I can go in any direction. And then additionally, um, I have an aunt who has um, Williams syndrome. And so um, she lives in Mexico and she never really got the opportunity to kind of get assistance in the way that speech language pathologists help their, their patients. So um, that was something that I really wanted to do. And um, uh, also I have two uncles who are hard of hearing, like deaf, hard of hearing. And um, they worked with someone closely to um, to you know be in in regular classrooms and learn um, even though they had that that uh, disability. So wow, that, is, that covers so much. <laughs> I had no idea that speech therapists can help celebrities, um, yes. let alone. I mean, it's very small, <laughs> but still, that's so cool. Um, so, all right. I know just like a lot of our other disciplines here at Create um, School, going to school, you have to have that specific certification. Um, for me, I got mine in a master's, but you don't have to get a master's for therapeutic recreation. Um, for speech, I, I believe you have to have a master's, right? So what does school look like for speech therapy? Right. So, um, so you do need a, a bachelor's in communication sciences and disorders. Um, within that bachelor's you can have a minor and I'm speaking from my experience our school was um, you needed a minor in psychology or education um, or any uh, like biology kind of things like that Um, and then you need 25 hours of observation for your bachelor's Um, and at that point you can become a uh, SLPA so speech language pathology assistant um, but to be a full licensed uh, speech language pathologist, you need to um, go to get your master's. <laughs> and um, that is, it typically takes two years if you're going full time. Um, and then it's um, a minimum of 400 um, clock hours. So it, you're typically going to see pediatric and an adult placement. Um, gaining your hours of um, clinical experience through supervision Um, and that at that point you can become a a speech language pathologist and then there's continuing education Um, so there's the clinical doctoral degree in speech language pathology so that is typically two to three years to obtain and then there's the research doctoral degree in communication sciences and disorders and that'll be um, three to five years past your master's degree um, to acquire that. Gotcha. Well, now I know what school looks like a little bit yeah. more. Um, you touched a little bit about that continuing education part of it. Um, is that something that you can pick up like at any time throughout your career? Like if you decide you want to work more with pediatrics and like a autism or something you can kind of be like hey I'm gonna go work on this continue education yes yes definitely um it's actually required the continuing education so so those are more like to to obtain um a degree or certification um however outside of that you do have to take continuing education uh, courses, right? Like so, so you can you can kind of focus on whatever you'd like, but you just need I believe it's um, twenty hours per two years. Okay. Um, so you need to um, be 
up to date with the latest techniques, strategies, approaches. Um, and then you can definitely certify like uh, in NMES, so neuromuscular electrical stimulation, um, to use that intervention within your therapy um, and several other different programs. So there's all sorts of continuing education you can you can try and, and see what you like best. Um, and then obviously that's always an option to go back to school and get your doctorate, um, whether it be the clinical doctorate or the research. There's so much opportunity. I love yes. it. I yes. love it. Very many avenues. <laughs> um, bringing it back to the clinical setting a little bit. Um, so I, like it goes back to, again, there's more to speech therapy than just talking. Um, so what makes an individual a good candidate for speech? I mean, just because you talk doesn't mean that you're not a candidate. Um, so what, what do you get to cover in your speech that makes them appropriate for speech therapy? Yeah, so, so here in this clinical setting, uh, so we work with pediatrics, so that would obviously be someone who's under 18. Um, and they would require assistance in what we call the big nine. So that would be articulation, fluency, voice or, voice or resonance, uh, receptive and expressive language, hearing, swallowing, cognitive communication, pragmatics, um, and communication modalities. So here, typically, we are looking for um, medical necessity. So that is what we look for more than anything else. So um, someone who qualifies for um, speech therapy in the school setting might not qualify for speech, ther speech therapy uh, in our setting and vice versa. So um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, what are some specific interventions or activities that y'all get to do here at CRIT to help our patients? Some specific interventions. Or do you have a favorite, like a favorite intervention? <laughs> That's an interesting question. So um, I, I really enjoy doing feeding and swallowing. Um, I am not as experienced, so I'm still very much learning from my uh, coworkers. And it's just... Um, super, you know, th there's just so much uh, to learn and to be able to um, trial with patients. Um, so oral motor and swallowing is um, something that's really interesting to me as well as um, AAC, so um, augmentative and alternative communication. Um, so it's just kind of nice to be able to give a voice to, to patients who, who maybe nonverbal or minimally verbal stuff like that yeah definitely touching on that AAC I know um, I've, I've seen so many different types physically here in the building at crate um, so I you probably know that there's only a million out there different yes. kinds of AACs um, so what other forms of AACs do you get to work with? Can you can you touch on a little bit of like the most popular maybe or? Yeah, so just to break it down a little bit. So um, there are two main types of AAC. So there's aided and unaided um, systems. So aided would be anything that's using like a, a tool outside of just your body. Um, so 
unaided is just using your body. So anything like uh, facial expressions, body language, um, some signs, some gestures, stuff like that. Um, and then the aided would be, that comes down to, um, you can break it up in two or three categories. So some people like to say basic, uh, meaning like no tech, no technology or um, high tech. Um, in my mind, it makes more sense to break it up into three. So that would be no tech, like pen and paper, you just writing something down for someone to, to understand, um, pointing to letters, words, or pictures um, on a basic um, static communication board. And then light tech would be touching pictures, letters, or words um, with a speech generating device. So that's SGDs, um, and the speech generating devices are typically like a recordable kind of system. Okay. So um, th the screen is also static, so it's not moving. And then the high tech would be uh, like a computer or an iPad or things like that, that uh, someone is again, touching pictures, letters, <laughs> or <laughs> words. Um, however, the screen is dynamic, so it's it's switching to uh, predict what the next kind of um, word would be or um, you know, category, things like that. So, And those are obviously also speech-generating devices, so it has a voice output as well. Wow, I, that's so much more than I knew about AAC devices. Um, so at Create, like I said, I know Create, we see so many different types of AAC devices all over the building on different kids' chairs or in their lap or holding it or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So how do y'all help in speech therapy um, our kiddos learn their AAC devices? Can you walk us through like what a session could look like learning an AAC device? Yeah, so it's it's pretty complex. <laughs> so just to, to um, see what device would be appropriate for a child or an adult, adults also use AAC, um, you would have to see what their environment is like. So um, is this child using uh, some sort of communication at home? Are the parents open to using AAC? Um, are they maybe not appropriate because of behaviors, maybe they're throwing things and sure. that can be difficult and we can use accessories like a case or things like that to, to adjust for that. But um, understanding what their daily life looks like is very important. Is it gonna need a mount? Is it um, the accessibility? Are they able to touch the screen or will they need other forms like maybe a switch where it's adapted to being pressed with their head or foot or anything like that. Um, so first understanding what would be appropriate in the physical sense and then understanding what their, um, their language, so is their receptive language, um, are they are they able to understand you know categories that's going to change the type of AAC that's more of a category based system versus um, motor planning things like that um, so it's once you get 
the device and the vocabulary that you're going to use, then it's like teaching somebody a whole new language. So it would be starting off, I, I like to start off with, you know, the same kind of principles that you see a, a baby. So nouns, mm-hmm. um, uh, things like more and want, like those basic things to get their needs met, all done, stuff like <laughs> that. That's a very popular one. Um, so it just depends. And, and I should say before all that, do they understand the cause and effect sure. aspect of it? So that's a huge component of it. So um, sometimes right now I see a lot of patients who are just working on that cause and effect. I say more and I get more of what I want. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of moving pieces and very, very uh, individualized for each patient. Definitely. That's way more than I realized. I'm um, giving you a very long question. No, no, this is awesome. <laughs> no, we love it. Um, so obviously with that AAC, a big part of what y'all do and what CRIT does in general is help carry over at home. Um, in the past year, we've probably spent more time at home than we've wanted to with COVID. Um, so what else have you been able to do to help make tools at home, whether it's like a, another communication board out of stuff at home or a device to use at home? Have you been able to help out with that through speech? Yeah, so um, some basic things that we started with for our patients that um, are nonverbal and they don't have a device yet, um, just basic yes and no. Um, are they able to use eye gaze to indicate yes and no? Do they understand that, first of all? Um, uh, so just basic images, uh, telling parents to take pictures of items that they typically like uh, or shows that they like so that they can work on choice making. Um, some You can also do like visual schedules. Uh, I know being at home, it's really hard to kind of separate home life and therapy and school and all that. So um, giving them kind of more of a concrete, like this is what happens next. Um, Also outside of just AAC using uh, like a toothbrush, a vibrating toothbrush to help with oral motor, exercises or or stretches or things like that um stimulation and then just things around the house so like if we're working on uh someone getting their lips to to round maybe blowing bubbles or blowing a feather across the table things like that very you know just random things that you can find around the house that are lightweight (laughs) no that's like difficult to think of in the moment Um, and then as well as like iPad uh, apps suggestions for they they have several free apps that are um, y- you can take a picture of something and and use that to facilitate uh, choice making. So wow, yeah. Um, you kind of hinted at it earlier. We had talked a little bit about um, you said maybe providing a case for like a AAC device or something for behavioral issues, and I know. I don't believe behavior management is a part of speech, um, but we do have kiddos here that have those um, negative behavior patterns just because of their diagnosis or it's overwhelming coming here after school Mm -hmm. or interrupting a daily flow at home. So how can speech help in those um, negative behavior moments? Yeah, so um, I think the biggest 
thing is identifying the root cause of that. So is it that they're frustrated because they don't have the communication to express how they're feeling or what they want? Um, is it a lack of understanding of what's appropriate or um, you know anything like that? So we can help with facilitating, uh, you know, the appropriate way to protest something, uh, saying all done with this activity or giving them a visual to point to that they don't want to do this anymore or um, identifying feelings and emotions. Um, also, like I said, providing a way for them to express what they're feeling. So giving them the language, um, visuals is a huge thing. Um, and then identifying safe solutions or providing choices for them. So uh, maybe telling them, okay, do you, do you want a break? And you know, you can have visuals for that. Um, yeah, and, and do, you know, do those uh, things help them express what they want enough to reduce the frustration? Um, and then being able to carry that over with other disciplines, um, you know, coming together to create a behavior plan um, and then using the same kind of language with them, providing the same visuals to be consistent, um, to encourage that carryover and generalization with other disciplines. Definitely. I, as being in my therapeutic recreation room, I see so much carryover from speech to our kiddos, whether they're signing for more yes. or please, or all done <laughs> um, as I'm signing them right now. Um, I've learned from our kids and I think that those ability to just even communicate the simple things yes. has helped tremendously, especially if you can see a behavior starting to escalate very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know some of our kids are like, no, I need to take a break now. And I'm like, yes. thank you. Thank yes. you for letting me know. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I, I think that does, it helps starting in speech and it helps out tremendously and it does carry over in other disciplines, no doubt. Um, and so my last question for you is, um, what advice do you have for parents who are trying to figure out um, if their kid is eligible for speech or not? Is my kid a good candidate for receiving speech therapy? Therapy. <laughs> So, I mean, my biggest advice would be try and go and see, get evaluated, um, because there are so many aspects of speech-language pathology that, um, that we can work on. And so, whether it be cognitive, are they maintaining attention, are they, you know, um, alert enough to... to begin learning, uh, things like that. So, um, just with any, the, the before mentioned <laughs> list of nine things that we work on, if any of those things are something that, uh, is difficult for their child or they feel that they are delayed compared to, to other, uh, siblings or, or anything like that, then I would just encourage them to, um, seek, uh, you know, education through a speech-language pathologist to be evaluated uh, to see if they're appropriate. Um, yeah. No, thank you. Um, well, again, happy Better Speech and Hearing Month. We appreciate you coming in and talking with us today. Thank you. Good insight into the speech therapy world. Um, so thank you for joining us. And thank you so much for having me. It was great. the re -evaluation.
Lab brought to you by Crit. Once again, I feel like I've learned a lot from listening to this interview. Um, the interdisciplinary approach here that we have at our clinic gives us some insight into what a speech session actually has um, and ultimately helps us make progression toward our goals as like physical therapy or recreational therapy, whatever skill you're, you're working with there. But I feel really understanding um, where my patient is with like receptive and expressive language as Lorena was explaining super helps in my session. There have been times that I have a patient who's really showing some, some frustration. And part of that is because I can't understand some of their basic needs. So with speech therapist, um, they're able to determine and where to begin with each patient by building, you know, that personalized plan for maximum gains. Um, and then with that, the use of like an AAC device, um, signing, or even, you know, a low tech communication board, our patients can communicate when they need a break or when they're all done. So it's, it's helped me a ton, um, to have speech therapy here and, and really have me understand what they do with us. I feel like I have a better understanding and I feel pretty confident giving like a, a definition to other people now after hearing what all Lorena has described to us. Uh, speech therapists cover so much from the big nine that she was mentioning to just even how some speech therapists can help actors or actresses with different accents for movie roles. Uh, saying I don't I don't know who I would have thought would actually do that, but that's so cool. Of course, it makes sense that speech therapists do that. Um, and then it's just crazy how many types of communication there is. And speech therapy really helps individuals figure out what kind of communication they need, whether it's that low technology with a picture board or a high tech with um, a very fancy AAC device like on an iPad or something similar looking. Um, speech therapists start from the very beginning, just like when we're learning to talk at some point in our lives. And then they are there every step of the way to figure out what's next and how to add more um, communication skills to those. I know I have so many kiddos that come in my room after they learn like new conversations or new words with their AAC devices. And they're so excited to finally communicate. As Laura had mentioned, they might need a break or simply communicating a color need or something like that if we're painting. And then we get to practice playing games and applying the new skills to what we do around the clinic. It's pretty cool. Um, I definitely feel a lot better knowing what speech therapy is. Yeah, definitely. I, in general, um, I, I was sitting in here in the background for what Lorena was talking about. And um, the schooling, I also feels like really interesting. The fact that they have to continue on a year after, I believe, passing their board and, and getting done with um, actually graduating. It's like, no, you're not quite a speech therapist yet. You have to have that. Um, I think she said clock hours. They do a lot in their field. And I feel a lot of it might just be like liability. You know, you're helping someone learn how to swallow and being that I'm on the physical side of things, anytime someone is like remotely choking or like coughing a certain way, I'm just like, okay, where's the speech therapist? Where's someone that can come help me out? Um, but having them here in the clinic is just really helpful. They can tell you some simple trips, you know, like positioning or, or, or tucking something in, you know? Um, so I've always felt like having them here. And like I said, that interdisciplinary approach that we have has just been super, super helpful. Um, but we hope that you feel like this information was helpful and uh, enjoyed as well. As a nonprofit, we couldn't do what we do without your support. Please visit us at critusa.org for more information on our organization, as well to find a link to donate. We would love to hear feedback from you. As mentioned, we are a podcast to serve you. We were reserving the final portion of each episode to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at critusa.org for questions or topics that you would like to be covered. 
information about the re-eval, please visit CritUSA.org. Thank you for listening. The information presented on this podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice. Please continue to follow the recommendations of your physician and or other healthcare providers. Please refer to your physician prior to initiating any modifications to your current healthcare regimens. Thank you.